uh, we're getting that rain left over from the hurricane they just had in Florida or the Gulf, the Gulf area. So it's always a different kind of rain, more steady, you know, and it just keeps coming. But praise the Lord. <laughs> so today we're on chapter 13. Uh, last, last couple of weeks, we're reading about the people who would not be in heaven. Before that, we read about some who would be. And that's always uh, very interesting to find out some things about who will and who won't be in heaven. Today, we're talking about uh, in heaven 1,000 years. And 1,000 years, of course, we know to be called the millennium. And this time it says on the first paragraph that the wicked realize their lives have been a failure. When the voice of God turns the captivity of his people, there's a terrible awakening of those who have lost all in the great game of life. While probation continued, that's our time now, while probation continued, they were blinded by Satan's deception and they justified their course of sin. So, you know, it does seem kind of very interesting that while you are in the midst of sinning or before you sin, then you don't see what's wrong with it and you'll even justify why it's okay to do. But then afterward, it comes to you, your, your mind, your eyes are opened, your mind is clear that you have uh, failed. And that's what's going to happen here in, at the uh, thousand years when Christ returns. Those people who have been against him and who have lost all in the game of life are awakened to realize that we have been deceived by Satan. But you know, it's sad, but it will be too late because they that are holy are holy still, those who are righteous, righteous still, and those who are evil, evil still, it's too late to change. What do you think people will feel at that time when their minds are awakened to the fact that they have been wrong? Well, I think, um, I think people will be, will be a little angry and, um, not frustrated and, and somewhat frustrated. I don't think they'll be remorseful because I believe, you know, they have um, had opportunities time and time again to accept the truth and chose not to do it. So I think they'll be angry um, and they'll have no one to blame but themselves, but I think they will attempt to blame others. Okay. Anyone Bible, yeah, the Bible says there'll be a gnashing of teeth and I can't imagine a situation where I'd be so angry that you know I'd be gnashing of teeth. I mean, it's beyond regret or anger or remorse. Hmm. They will realize what they what they lost. Yeah, I was thinking when I read that about the Capitol insurrection that all these people is following Trump orders to fight and protest and do all this. Then after the fact, Trump bailed out on them. <laughs> and now they mad at him and threatening him. So it's kind of like that. While they were all involved, they was blinded to his lies. And then after the fact, they was like, oh man, we've been tricked. You know? Well, I don't think they've come to a conclusion. I think that they have buckled down, um, uh, buckled down on the lie and insist because they don't want to face the truth. In this situation, they will have to face the truth that you have been doing wrong, no matter how you try to say it. 
So I don't think they have really buckled down to face the truth yet. Yeah, and maybe not all, but some of those people actually said they was felt lied to and cheated. Yeah, they don't feel lied to and cheated again to in August when when they discovered they will not have a seat in the presidency. Any other thoughts on that? It even talks here about the rich, those who are wealthy. They had neglected to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to deal justly and to love mercy. They sought to exalt themselves and obtain the homage of their fellow creatures. And now they're stripped of all that made them great and left destitute and defenseless. So it's nothing wrong with being wealthy and rich, but they neglected to share with those in need and to show love and mercy. And they too will be left destitute and defenseless. What is it about people that when you have more than enough, you don't want to share with others who don't have? You ever ran into somebody like that? It's almost like they are fearful that they're not going to have enough, but they have plenty. So they want they don't want anything to run out from their family or be uh, in need or want. So I'm gonna make sure I fill up all my barns and all of my supply. I'm gonna fill it up to the top and have overflowing, so I'll never be without. But they have plenty, just like you said, Lee. It's just sad because if you think about it, you could live off of a million dollars and never have to work the rest of your life if you if you map it out right. So think about people who have billions of dollars. Why wouldn't they see that they can share and still have plenty left? This just boggles the mind. And then it says the gain of a lifetime is swept away in a moment. So even all that, you know, even uh, the parable about the guy that built more barns to store all his stuff. And then the, the Lord said, fool, all that stuff going to be taken away from you in a moment. And that's true. You spend 80, 50, 50, 60, 80 years gaining, gaining money and wealth. And then you die and it's all gone. Or worse than, worse than that, something happens. You get sued or and then you end up in bankruptcy court. It's just terrible. It could all go in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Paragraph 117 says that the wicked are filled with re regret. The wicked are filled with regret. But what was the problem with them being filled with re regret? What was wrong with their regret? Because they, they are uh, upset because God won. Upset because God won. Mm -hmm. Because God has conquered. Didn't they truly regret what they had done? No. 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 And it's, you know, after a while, when, you know, someone keeps saying, for example, you know, um, I just, I'll use this vaccination because we're in the middle of that situation. So let's say that someone keeps telling you, get the vaccination, get the vaccination, get the vaccination. And each time they say that you come up with a reason why you're not going to get the vaccination, why you don't feel a need to have the vaccination. But then people around you start dying, you know, and they trace this from COVID, uh, the new variant, and they trace this back to you and uh, people whom you said don't 
know, they don't need the vaccination like your grandchildren or your children and you persuaded them to do this. And then they start dying from the variant, you know, the natural inclination would be to feel remorse, but then there is that second point that come kick you in your teeth and say, it's you, your fault. And so then you start justifying. Well, the more you justify, the more likely you will justify poor behavior or poor decisions. Mm. Any other thoughts on that? The wicked are filled with regret, not because of their sinful neglect of God, but because God has conquered. Uh, is there any problem with the fact that they regret it, though? Wouldn't it be better to have some kind of regret? What's the real problem with people like that? They haven't changed their hearts. You know, they will go right back to what they were doing before if you let them back in. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like uh, we was reading about the um, Israelites and, the, and wandering in the wilderness. And at some point they was like, you know, we want to be tired of this manna. We want the leeks and onions of Egypt and, and the quail and the fish and all this stuff, you know. And so God gave it to them, gave them what they asked for. And he showed them that given left, their appetites left un, 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 untrained or undisciplined would be their death. Yeah. And it says they did not repent of their wickedness. So there's, like you said, there's no real change of heart. There's no real change of life or attitude. Uh, talk is cheap. And it says they would leave no means untried to conquer if they could. Where did we read that before in one of our chapters about people not leaving any means untried to conquer? Anybody remember? Uh, we, we're reading about the New Jerusalem coming down and that the evil, wicked people had surrounded the city and Satan was trying to beef them up to try and conquer the city again. So once again, their hearts had not changed. They came up with the same ill, evil intent that they went to the grave with. So th there's no repentance of their heart. And you know, it's one of the things that that as Christians... When you ask, when you're asking people to repent, you don't want them to just repent because they were caught. They don't want them to repent just because you're asking them. You want them to truly feel a sense of sadness for going against God's commandment, a real sense of acknowledging that I was wrong and I did and I need to change. You know, they say there's no true repentance unless you turn from your evil ways. So that's, that's where it's at with those wicked. They didn't truly repent of their wickedness, and they would still try to conquer even at the last day. On um, 117.3, the wicked are destroyed. At the coming of Christ, the wicked are blotted from the face of the whole earth, consumed with the spirit of his mouth, destroyed by the brightness of his glory. Because they have transgressed his laws, changed the ordinance, and broken the everlasting covenant. So it's really going to be sad, but when the wicked are slain by the brightness of Christ's coming, because evil cannot stand in the midst of a holy God. And it says, the whole earth appears like a desolate wickedness, the ruins of cities and villages destroyed by earthquake, uprooted by trees, ragged rocks thrown out over the surface, and this is interesting, vast caverns, big giant caves or hunks cut out of the earth 
where the mountains have been rent from their foundation. Uh, sometimes we'll see pictures of where a tornado hit or a hurricane hit. And that's really sad and it's terrible, but that's not gonna be anything compared to how the earth is going to look after Christ's second coming. You know, when the earth is all broken up and destroyed and desolated. It's gonna be pretty amazing, I'll tell you that. And this is gonna be Satan's home for his evil angels for that thousand year millennium period. Why do you think God is gonna leave Satan and his evil angels here for a thousand years? What's the purpose of that? We're on pay, uh, paragraph 118.2. Any thoughts on that? Why didn't God just kill them and be done with it? In fact, why don't, why do, why isn't the sentence for certain crimes just, you know, not, uh, not just the death penalty, but sometime life in prison? What are they hoping happens to people they sentenced to life in prison? That they would be um, reformed. Oh, what do you think that, what, say it again. Yeah, why do you think God is going to leave Satan here for a thousand years on this desolate earth? So he can reflect on what he did and all the pain and misery and woe that he caused and all the sins he could cause people to commit. Mm -hmm. That's right. And uh, that's why some people, they plead for the court not to sentence a person to death because they want them to suffer. They want them to think about what they did. They want them to feel some remorse. You know, if you just execute a person, it's over. But if they have to sit in jail for years, they have plenty of time to think about the, the evilness of their actions, the wrongfulness of their ways, and what they could have, should have, would have done differently or better. You know, and here it says, limited alone to the earth, Satan will not have the privilege of going to other planets to tempt and annoy those who have not fallen. And it's during this time, Satan suffers extremely. Since his fall, his life has been intense activity has banished reflection, but now he's deprived of his power. And now all he can do is think about all the de evil deeds he has done since he first rebelled in heaven. And also not just to look back at what he has done, but then to look forward with trembling and terror to his dreadful future. When he has to suffer for all the evil he's done and be punished for the sins of all those he has caused to commit sin. Now that's a lot going on there. You know, of course we know that God knows what's best and that's his choice. Instead of just destroying Satan, he allows him to sit on this destroyed earth and think about what he has done, his uh, result of his actions, and then to think forward to his dreadful future. So as I say, when the devil reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. Any thoughts on the part where he's going to be, any part where he's going to be punished for the sins he has caused others to commit? Paragraph 118.3, where Satan's going to be punished for all the sins that he has caused others to commit. What, where do we see that? anywhere in history. Uh, do you remember the sanctuary service? 
Remember the scapegoat? What was the point of the scapegoat? Oh, that the sins that were in the, um, the sins that were cleansed by the sacrifice of the mm -hmm. lamb was laid on the scapegoat. And then that scapegoat was released into the wilderness. Right, exactly. So Satan, that, all the that, sins that he has caused others to commit will be put on his head. Mm. Paula, did you have something? Yeah, it's it just dawned on me. It's amazing that the lamb, the sinless lamb is slain, but the guilty one is set free are allowed to live with the sins heaped upon them. Mm -hmm. But just for a time. And he's out in the wilderness. So there's nobody around, nothing for them to do except contemplate all those sins that were committed. Now, when you think about it, um, where it says that wicked shall be destroyed by the brightness of Christ's coming, what happens to the wicked their dead bodies. Did somebody bury them? Did the angels bury them? No, I assume they just laying there. <laughs> yeah, it says uh, right here, it says the wicked had been destroyed and their dead bodies were lying on the surface of the earth. Paragraph 119.1. Okay, babe, I got to get off because we're getting the class. 118.4. Uh, and it talks about, it says, talks to triumph the from the angels and the redeemed saints, that they are to be no more annoyed and tempted by Satan, and that the inhabitants of other worlds are delivered from his presence and temptations. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about Satan being able to tempt other worlds. So he's able to do that right now. Not, well, he's bound to the earth, right? He did that before everyone rejected him. We are, we're the only um beings that, that took the bait okay and everybody else is observing okay yeah and once his uh reign here is over he's not going to be allowed to go anywhere because he'll finally be destroyed mm -hmm. that's a interesting that's very interesting we should probably take some individual study and look at that some more uh the yeah, so Lakita has said that the dead bodies are just lying here on earth, you know, so nobody's going to bury them, nobody's going to clean up, they're just going to be laying there for Satan and his evil angels to see. It also points out in paragraph 119.1, the false shepherds, who are false shepherds? False preachers. Yeah, false preachers have been the signal objects of Jehovah's wrath. Why would false preachers be such an object of God's wrath? Because they basically lied on God. They used the word to deceive others and condemn their souls. Yeah, lied on God. Their eyes had, I thought this was pretty creepy. Their eyes had consumed away in their holes and their tongues in their mouth while they stood up on their feet. You know, and that reminded me on, uh, I think it was Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones movie, they had a scene like that where these people had turned right in front of everybody. After the saints had been delivered by the voice of God, the wicked multitude, what do they do? Did the wicked multitude repent? No, they turned their rage upon one another. 
evil people got to have somebody to turn their rage on, even if it's each other. You know, I've always felt that when people, you know, there's we talked about in Sabbath school, there's a lot of prejudice and racism in the world. But if there was only one race and one group of people, they would still turn their rage upon one another because that's how the devil is. And he would lead people to do those things. His whole goal is to obliterate the image of God in man. And the image of God is love, which is why he always creates hate. So if, if evil people don't have anybody else, they'll turn their evil upon whoever's around. So many times we can even say, you know, you can't even take things personally because evil is just evil no matter who it's directed at. Judgment of the, uh, judgment of the wicked, I thought this part was very interesting. During, during the thousand years, the millennium, between first and second resurrection, the judgment of the wicked takes place. Now, what seems out of place in that sentence? During the thousand years between the first and second resurrection, so Christ has come, 119.2. Christ has come. He's taken the righteous back to heaven, then come back for the second resurrection of the evil, and it says the judgment of the wicked takes place. Isn't there something out of sequence there? Hadn't the judgment already taken place? Not the judgment of the week. It's just that so other people can see, can read the book and see that God is just. That's what this whole thing is about. So get great controversy. Satan accused God of something. And now, you know, and during that time, they will see that God was just. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I assume that right now only the judgment of the um, well, what, well, let me say this, and you guys correct me. Am I correct that in the book of life, that everybody's name is book of, is in the book of life, living, going to heaven? Everybody presumed that they're going to predestinate it to go, but then by their behavior, their their name is kicked out. So the judgment for the righteous is what's being taken place now, right? Is that right? Right now it's probation period and ju judgment of the righteous is being taken place. But the scripture says when Jesus returns, his judgment is with him. Mm -hmm. And that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's why he knows who is righteous and that's how he knows who is uh, unrighteous. So the judgment has already taken place However, this part is what is termed the investigative judgment. And like Paula was saying, the books are opened and we have an opportunity to look in the books of everybody and see why this person didn't make it or why God chose, you know, that this person wasn't righteous or, or unrighteous or whatever. So the actual judgment of who is and is not righteous is done by Christ, but the investigative judgment is where the books are open for the saints to see how how God's judgment was done. Okay, so we can spend our time in heaven if we're wondering about a loved one or something, or someone who appeared to be following God. Then we can open the books and look and say, okay, just and true and fair is our Lord and Savior. Yeah, if we look at paragraph 119.5, paragraph 119.5, it says, it is at this time as foretold by the Apostle Paul, 
the saints shall judge the world. In union with Christ, they judge the wicked, comparing their acts with the Bible. If, so, excuse me, Elder Carroll, can you yeah. tell me what page? Because I can't. I don't have the paragraphs with the points and all that that you're saying. Uh, let's see. It's I'm looking for a subtitle or something. Hold on. It starts. It would be page one twenty, wouldn't it? No, that's paragraph. Can you find the paragraph that says it is at this time as foretold by Paul? It's closer to the end of the chapter two. Yeah. It starts out. It is at this time as foretold by Paul. The saints shall judge the world. You okay, you that? just move on, Elder Carroll. Sooner or later, I'll, I'll find it. I'll catch up okay. with you guys. Go down towards the end of the chapter. It's more down that direction. So it says, in union with Christ, they judge the wicked, comparing their acts with the Bible. So again, that's the investigative form of judgment, that we compare the acts of people with the scriptures, and then together decide every case according to the deeds. Then hey, the Patsy. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Patsy, yeah, I said I, I need a page because I've highlighted stuff, but I can't find that. Okay, it's under the it's under the section that says judgment of wicked. Okay, what? Okay, the it's wicked at at God's judgment bar is that is that? I don't. Okay, I I, I still don't have it. I like I said, we are in chapter fourteen, right? We're in thirteen. Chapter thirteen. But, okay. End of the chapter. Okay. Thank under, you. Okay, under the subtitle of Judgment of Wicked. And then you're gonna okay, go I'm there. Thank you. Okay. And now you're at the fifth paragraph, right? I don't know. She says she got it. At the fifth paragraph. Okay. So again, Christ is the one who does the actual judging. But the books are open so that we can see uh, what went on and why, you know, so that we won't, so that we'll all acknowledge that God is just and, and fair and that he has done what he said he would do, you know. It says Satan also and evil angels are judged by Christ and his people. So we'll even get to see what the Satan and the evil angels, what their acts were and compare that against the book. Well, that's going to be a big book right there. Yes, it's sad, but again, after all is said and done, we will all agree that God is just and God is merciful and that he has made no mistakes. Uh, the next paragraph starts, Satan's punishment is commensurate with his guilt. Satan's punishment commensurate with his guilt. Satan and his angels were judged by Jesus and the saints. Satan's punishment, punishment was to be far greater than that of those whom he deceived. Why do you think that is true? Why should his punishment be worse than that of those whom he deceived? Because he knew better. I mean, he lived with, he was in heaven. He, he was the instigator of all this stuff. You know, and, to, and the word deceive right there implies that the person wasn't fully, fully understanding everything that was involved. 
Okay. Anyone else? Why should Satan's punishment be worse? He's the reason they're sin. God found iniquity in him in heaven. I mean, that that's the first, this is gonna be the first and last time that happens. You know, sometimes you know, like if a um a husband or wife, a spouse goes out and finds someone to kill the other spouse, the husband finds one to kill the wife. He gets as much time in jail, if not more, than everybody else because he instigated, started the process and caused this person's death. He's the mastermind. Yeah, the mastermind. Also, I think that because of Satan uses all of those uh, deceptions against people when, you know, he gets them confused and they have, if they haven't been studied or even the ones that have studied, his devices are so smooth because like they, like someone said, he once lived with God. So he knows how to make these devices look like they're coming from God and everything is from God. And that deception is where I think he's going to get double portion because he deceived on purpose. It wasn't like he didn't know what he was doing to hurt humans to get back at God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're the ringleader, you are the cause of everyone else's problems and, and troubles. So when we think about it, every every sin that was committed, has been committed, will be committed by humans started with Satan. You know, they had a few years ago, the um, person who founded the Crips, their gang, I think it was the Crips, one of them, the Bloods, and he was in prison and he, he had asked to be released from prison. And his lawyers, they had some glowing words for how he had... Uh, reformed in prison and how he was teaching people not to do wrong. And the parole board said, no way are you getting out of prison. You're the ringleader. You're the cause of every person who died being a part of these gangs. So it's similar to that. Every sin since you started this is on your head. It's because of you. You're responsible for it. So it says safe, Satan's suffering was so far exceeding theirs as to bear no comparison with it. After all those whom he deceived had perished, Satan is still going to live and suffer on much longer because as has been said, he's the ringleader, he's the start of it, he's the cause of it, and every sin committed since was because of him and his responsibility. Uh, Then it says on the paragraph, Satan banished, Paragraph 120.3, it talks a little bit about that, uh, the Day of Atonement, where we had mentioned earlier about the ministry. Uh, When the ministration in the Holy of Holies had been completed and the sins of Israel had been removed from the sanctuary by virtue of the blood of the sin offering, then the scapegoat was presented to lie before the Lord. So when those sins had been confessed and put um, and removed by the blood of Christ, who is our sin offering, or at that time, the lamb, this, the uh, perfect lamb, then they took those sins and symbolically placed them and confessed them over the scapegoat's head and put them put those sins upon the head of the, of the goat. And then the goat was led out into the wilderness. And uh, that's exactly, you know, if we had studied our Bible history, the sanctuary service is a symbolic foreshadowing of exactly what goes on in heaven. You know, you have the priest 
uh, on earth and Christ the priest in heaven. You had the lamb that was sacrificed on earth, Christ the lamb that was sacrificed for the sins of the world now in heaven. Then you had the scapegoat on earth and Satan is the scapegoat and he will be the eternal scapegoat. So you can see the comparison. And that was the whole point of the earthly sanctuary service to point out the plan of salvation. And while things were going on here on earth, the same things were going on in the heavenly realm. So a uh, study of the sanctuary is something that we should all try to understand at least to a basic level because the plan of the sanctuary is the plan of salvation in a visible means of seeing it. They even make a point of saying that the scapegoat was laid out, of the, laid out into the wilderness by a strong man so that he couldn't escape, couldn't get away, couldn't cause more trouble. And of course we know Jesus is that uh, strong man who will lead the scapegoat out to the wilderness, Satan. Our final paragraph talks about uh, in like manner when the work of the atonement in the heavenly sanctuary has been completed, then in the presence of God and heavenly angels and hosted the redeemed, the sins of God's people will be placed upon Satan. He'll be declared guilty of all the evil which he has caused them to commit. And as the scapegoat was sent away into a land not inhabited, Satan will be banished to this desolate earth, uninhabited in dreary wilderness. So again, we see the comparison to the sanctuary on earth and the sanctuary in heaven. And uh, Satan's gonna spend a thousand years banished to this desolate earth, him and his evil angels. And does anyone know what happens after that thousand years is over? The second resurrection. Yeah. And then uh, the, 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 they'll try to take the city and then all the evil will be destroyed. I have a question. And this is a question I've always had. One of my favorite verses is, um, I, I, I don't know where it's found right now. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that, that God, you know, God is Lord. When does that happen in all of this? I think that might be coming up on our next pair, our next chapter. Our I, next chapter is the end of evil. You know what, though? I think that's at the beginning of uh, when Jesus returns, that there's going to be um, a special resurrection, and it's they which pierced him too shall see his returning. And, and I think it, shall say, it says that then. I'm looking at Revelation 1. I'm going to see if it's in there. Oh, you're talking about the scripture itself? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, I, I have not having jumped to the next chapter, Paula, I think that it happens when the, the uh, lost try to take the holy city and then before God destroys them, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Okay. I can't wait till next week. <laughs> and you know, I have a question too. I often wonder about that verse also, Paula, in the terms that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. If the wicked are, they're also going to be bowing and confessing. So my thing of it is, at that point, why continue to fight against something that you know is just and you're confessing is just, but then you're going to still try to fight it? Well, You're well, still going to try to fight against God in the city. 
Wait a minute, before we go there, Pastor, here it is in, in Revelation 1, verse 7. It said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him, even so, amen. Well, it doesn't say every knee shall bow and confess. Okay. Well, I don't know. Okay, so maybe it's, it's at that time when she says it, but it says every eye shall see him. And um, and they also which pierced him. I've always wondered about that. Those who pierced him on the cross. That just means that everybody from from day one who has done, you know, everyone who's ever lived, including those who crucified him, will have to bow and confess that he is Lord. Uh, Sister Carol, what verse did you say it was? Revelation one what? One seven, but it doesn't say every knee shall bow. It wait, doesn't wait, wait, wait. It like that. Every eye should see him and they also which pierce him. There may be another one then. I'll I'll continue to search for it, but I can't wait for it to be revealed in our lesson. And it's also <clears throat> that's also said in several spirit of prophecy writings. And also I think sometimes we uh remember that song too that says it. So maybe we're getting it mixed up, but Someone will find that verse and report it back to us. That's so, another question. Oh, I was going to just say real quick. Oh, um, um, it says in Isaiah 45, 23. And then again in Romans 14, 11, And then again in Philippians 2, 10. So it, okay. it kind of builds all those together. Um, also, Patsy, you said, how come they can see if everybody's going to uh, confess that Jesus is right and, and uh, true and, and fair, how come they're going to still continue on? Well, we got a really good example of what's going on now. When they look at this, um, I just can't help it, this here political stuff we just have been going through is really good for, for this chapter in particular. When you look at the, um, the insurrection, the insurrection on the Capitol Hill, and as they go through this investigation and everything, you literally had people saying that they saw what happened, you got pictures of what happened, and you have some people saying they were calmly touring the place. They were calmly touring this place, you know? And you have some people saying, you know, that, well, um, they were just speaking out and expressing themselves in the face of so many investigations and looking at the, um, the vote, you still have people saying the vote was not right and that this president is not the president. People have a way of just twisting their brain into well, really allowing Satan to twist their brain to believe whatever they want to believe. It doesn't matter what people actually see with their eyes or what they actually experience with themselves. People will come back out with a twisted story because it fits what they want to believe. As Sister Carol, I was just looking up, and I don't want to get too veer too far off on what we're talking about, mm -hmm. but um, I looked up in my in my Bible every eye, and it came up with verse after verse after verse, and fifteen results actually, and the majority of them say. Um, let me see, every man whosoever is right in his own eyes. And that's repeated verse after verse after verse. What man see, thinks is right in his own eyes, 
But the last verse is Revelations 1, 7, which, which kind of sums everything up. We go on generation to generation to generation. We make a choice. Oh, let me see, I'm trying to get my thoughts together. We, we, we make choices and every man does what is right in his own eyes. But at the end, um, Revelation 1, 7 says, behold, he cometh in the clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and, um, and earth because, you know, in other words, throughout history, when we fail, we're looking at things, we see things right in our own eyes. We try to justify things like he was kind of saying, the people with the, with the insurrection or whatever, but we do it every day. We justify what we, what we want to do, mm-hmm. knowing that it's wrong. But at the end, every eye shall see him and have to confess. I don't know if I'm even making sense, but anyway. You do. Yeah, because if you look up every eye, you'll get 15 results and all of them say the same thing. Every man whosoever is right in his own eyes. But the very last one talks about every eye will see him and have to confess. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And you know, when we think about things like that, we only have our limited human imagination. We don't know how God's going to do all these things exactly, but he said he's going to do it, and I believe that he will. Uh, Every knee shall bow and confess, you know. And one of the reasons we had read earlier was because there, there will be no doubt in heaven because all these things have been shown, you know, the investigative judgment, every knee bows and confess Jesus is Lord, so that those inhabitants of heaven will have no reason to doubt because it will have all been laid out perfectly so that we'll all be confident and assured of what God has said and done. It's very interesting. You know, when we read about the future, God is opening the future to us a little bit at a time as we study his word and his uh, prophecies and testimonies because he wants us to know. He wants us to be sure. He wants us to trust in his word and to trust in his promises. And that comes from studying his word. He says, study the scriptures because they testify of me, not only of what he has done, but also what he will do in the future to save his people. It's, it's always fun to study history and it's always fun to study prophecies. Um, but again, we just have to trust in the Lord. He said it and that settles it. Yeah, next at our next class for this chapter 14 will find out exactly when that's going to happen and and also we did read today that some of it is revealed at different times where certain people God awakens their conscience and they realize oh man I really messed up you know but we'll find out um next week Karen will be teaching from testimonies one what page are we on there Karen or where are we at there? She, she might have already checked out. Let's see. We're on testimonies, chapter 85. Yeah, we're on testimonies 85 and paragraph 488.2, I believe. But she'll tell us. I think we're 
they're having what is that show that's coming on Lakita? uh yes a tour of the black museum a tour of the black museum in dc and um it's um karen sent a link to it so it's in the link that she sends on a uh, sabbath okay so Elder, Elder mm -hmm. yeah Your phone's okay. kind of cut now. Okay, hey. Elder Carol, are we starting at 2.30 all the time or are we starting before 2.30? No, at 2.30, but today we have a special event that Lakita was just mentioning, a tour of the Smithsonian History Museum. Oh, okay, because I, I didn't know what happened. I said when I came in, I had missed so much, and I said I looked at the clock, I said it's 2.30, so... Uh, so, okay, thank you. Yeah. Next week is going to be at 2.30. Yeah. I think she sent everybody a text as many as she could. That we were I doing. didn't get one. Did we have yeah. to buy say, something about tickets, though, on this last but, text? Tickets, I've tickets, been to the museum, but I would like to do this virtual thing as well. I think it's free, actually, Paula. I think you can just, like, I just clicked, I will attend. They, you, uh, Ebright has tickets, but they usually are free. Eventbrite. Oh, okay. Eventbrite, I'm sorry. Yeah, event. All right. Oh, and just FYI, that's Romans 1411. I put it in the chat for it is written as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. Mm -hmm. All right. But um, was that Romans 1411? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we'll close out with prayer then. Uh, you had another comment, Paula? Okay, let's close out with prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for blessing us with your word, with the desire to know more about uh, what you have planned for us, Lord. Help us each to accept your Holy Spirit's guidance. Help us each to accept the promises that you've given us for a future, a bright future in heaven with thee. Bless our efforts, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit to dwell within our minds and our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Bless us to continue to enjoy this beautiful Sabbath day, praising and worshiping your name. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen. So everybody, amen. Join Happy Sabbath to everybody. Bye. Nice. Um, so this link.